WDBM East Lansing. Welcome to Impact Exposure. Exposure is 88.9 The Impact, one-hour forum discussing relevant issues affecting the MSU community. And now, tonight's Exposure. I want to thank you for joining us. This is the Impact Exposure. My name is Wes. We have a great show lined up for you today. I was speaking with someone from uh, MSU Garden Day, uh, as put on by the uh, Department of uh, Horticulture, as well as uh, someone from the 30th Annual Michigan Wine and Spirits Competition and Gold Medal Reception. It's quite a mouthful, but uh, before we get to any of that, uh, right now we're speaking with Chelsea from the uh, Great Lakes Folk Festival, uh, being put on this year by the uh, MSU Museum. I want to thank you for being here. Thank you. And uh, this is your first time on the air, so I don't want to make you feel too <laughs> nervous, but uh, why don't you go ahead and give us a little bit of a summary about what the uh, festival is all about. Well, the festival is all about learning about different cultures. There's um, lots of there's traditional food, traditional games, lots of different music performers. There's over 75 performances over the weekend. It's all free. Um, in downtown East Lansing, it's a lot of fun. Excellent. And now uh, you said seventy-five performers. Like, I mean, seventy-five what, performances. Or, excuse me, performances. I'm sure there's some some pretty big bands there in there as well. Uh, what uh, what sort of music can people expect to hear? Um, there's reggae. There's Cajun. Te- um, Texas Swing is one of the groups. Um, what else? Franco-American songs. Uh, Celtic. That's a big one actually mm. around Lansing. You'd really? be surprised. Um, yeah, uh, Slovenian-style polka. Wow. Yeah. We're covering all the bases yeah, here. Yeah, all over. <laughs> That's crazy. Now, I saw that there was, uh, it was, I hope I'm saying this right, Anishnabek singing? Do you know what that's all, what that is? Um, yeah, that's the, um, the, oh, maybe I lost it, actually, <laughs> sorry, but I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I'm, I'm just looking over the list of, of the different uh, the music types here. Uh, some, of the, some of these are popping out of me. That, of course, one of them, uh, hand drumming. Is that, what, what exactly is that? Um, yeah, they, um, I think that's uh, Asani. Um, yeah, but they're hand drummers and they sing um, lots of different songs. They're from um, Canada, maybe? Yeah. Hmm. And, um, they're, they're really good. If you get to see them, there'll be like four performances by them. Or Excellent. Well, now, what, what sort of uh, acts are, are popping out in your head as, as favorites of yours? Oh, I'm definitely going to check out the Back of the Moon because they are from Scotland and they came all the way over, so you have to check them out. And then the Roots Vibration, they're from Detroit. They're the um, steel, African steel band. So I really want to check them out. Really upbeat type of music. So Very I'm going to cool. definitely see them. Yeah, Steel Drum, sure. A great sound for a hot summer day. Kind yeah. Of put you in that uh, sort of island mood, I'm sure. Yeah, reggae. Now, there's there's more than just music going on, right? Yep. There's all sorts of activities and everything. Yep. So what's what's going on with all of that? Um, there's traditional food. Um, we have all types of vendors from all over. We have Ethiopian food, um, oh. barbecue, you know, regular barbecue. Hawaiian food, Hawaiian food, Jamaican. Um, that's being a college student. I'm definitely going to go check out the food. You know, I don't get a good meal every once in a while, so <laughs> th- we'll have to definitely check out this. Um, then we we have normal vendors like Woody's is going to be out, and you can find um, actually one of the 
the things that I'm definitely gonna have to check out is the the homemade root beer. So yeah, I saw that. Now, <laughs> it, I mean, what what goes into homemade root beer? I, I don't know, but this. I guess like these guys, they they're it's been a recipe passed down from generation to generation, and they have their own stand and their own um, barrel of root beer on the stand that they've made years and years ago, and they've been going to festivals and stuff ever since, passing wow. out their homemade root beer. So, so. the re- the real deal, just like yeah. they used to make it. Crazy. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure there's not too many opportunities to get a a big uh, Ethiopian meal and, and homemade root beer in the same place. So yep. definitely a good draw. Now there's there's also uh, workshops and things going on. So yep. Um, going actually, on one of the the big things this year is the Carriers of Culture. It's, um, it actually is uh, from the Smithsonian Festival. Um, they had, a I don't know, earlier this year. And we're doing the Carriers of Culture and there's, it's all about baskets and um, basket making, basket weaving, um, we have other types of guilds like um, lace makers and um, crocheters or needlepoint and, you know, all types of different crafts and stuff like that. And they have talking circles where you can go and you can listen to people. You can basically learn how to do this stuff, how to get involved with these things, hmm. the stories behind all these these groups. and so. Interesting. Now, is that something that, that rotates each year, each different folk festival? There's a different activity highlighted? Yeah, yeah. So now, what's uh, wh- why why these particular ones this year? Um, this year it's the well, it's actually in the museum right now. Oh, um, there's a there's a big exhibit in the museum, the Cares of Culture. That um, so we decided to do that this year Very to go cool. along with the museum. So now, is this you mentioned the the basket weaving? Is that mm-hmm. uh, a Native American practice, or is yeah. that bigger than that? It's Native American. There's people from all around the United States. Actually, some some people are coming from Hawaii. Oh wow! So yeah. Um, yeah, lots of Indian type things and very cool. Now the the, the talking circle, why that kind of caught my ear. What's what is that? The talking circle is where they'll just be um the traditional artists. You know, they're all in a circle mm-hmm. and they're all talking and they may be making some baskets. Um, basically sharing techniques and learning about each other's because they don't all know each other. Mm-hmm. So, so it's you sort know. of the, the, the basket version of a sewing circle? Is that Yeah, really? yeah. Okay, okay, very <laughs> cool. And now how do, people, how do people get involved in that? I mean, if, if I've never made a basket and I want to participate, am I welcome to join? Or um, Well, I don't know if you're welcome to join for sure, <laughs> but I think it's more of the, the traditional people things. But they'll actually have booths that you could – I'm sure they'll have free time in between the talking circles that you can go and find more information about how to make baskets or become a member of a specific guild or something. Now the, now the guilds, I mean, when I when I hear guilds, I think of, uh, you know, like medieval sort of guilds. I'm sure that's not quite the same thing. What's, what, what is that? A guild is just the group of people that are all do, they all do the same thing, like the lace makers. Um, mm. They're all from different, um, different uh, places from the Great Lakes region. So Interesting. They're, I'll just do it. They meet commonly to do it. So these are all Michigan folks then? Um, Mostly from the guilds, yeah. Okay. But then you got some folks coming in from Hawaii. Yeah, for the, the carriers the of culture. Ex- yeah, all that stuff. Excellent. Very so. cool. Now, uh, there's there's the baskets, there's the, the lace. Uh, any, any other workshops, activities you should let people know? Maybe uh, anything for the kids, perhaps? Oh, yeah. There's a children's area. Oh, and cool. The children's area will have lots of stuff. They are playing hopscotch and um, children's bingo, um, all types of different games. There's also the the traditional games area, which um, they're open on Saturday and Sunday. So make sure you guys check that out. It's really cool. Very cool. Um, 
I'm really excited for uh, Mahjong. Oh, really? <laughs> they have Mahjong on, like, the real tile version of Mahjong. You know, mm-hmm. I'm when you get bored, you always play it online or something. Sure. <laughs> but I'm really excited to actually see it real, like sure. a real game of Mahjong. So. Maybe, maybe try your skills against a yeah. real person this time, too. <laughs> yeah, hopefully a beginner. <laughs> now, it sounds like between the music and the food and the activities and the, and the games, there's there's uh, an attempt to, to cover a lot of different cultures there. Now, my, basically, my, my question to you, is this sort of bringing these cultures to light? Is, it, is this uh, sort of, I don't know, keep, bring them to people's attention, or is this maintaining them? What's sort of the, the goal there? Um, I think it's both. Okay. Um, yeah, people really want to make sure that their culture stay alive. In, in East Lansing, a college town, let al- I mean, people come from all over, but you, we really want to to um, make sure make sure everyone knows about the folk life around the area. It's not just, you know, the folk music you hear, like um, James Taylor-type stuff. It's, it's everything from different countries, and we just want to... You know, see that it's actually passed from generation to generation, keeping it alive. That's lots of the, these uh, traditional artists. That's their main goal is to make sure their tradition stays alive. Certainly, yeah. And it sounds like this is a great opportunity for them too. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, what what kind of draw does the, the Great Lake Folks Festival get? Is this uh, just from Lansing area, Michigan? Where are you getting folks oh, coming in from? I know we get people from all over. Um, majority, I guess, are from Michigan. But I mean, people. We have bands coming from Scotland and. Um, Pennsylvania, all these different states. So I'm sure that maybe they'll bring people with them also, big fans with them. Lots of these bands are actually well-known by their area. So um, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw people from all over the states come. Sure. So if you're Slovakian living in Lansing and you hear there's a Slovakian polka band, then chances are you're familiar <laughs> with them, I take it. You might as well come check them out. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, we're, we're here talking with uh, Chelsea from the uh, Great Lakes Folk Festival and all the great activities and music that's going to be going on this weekend, August 10th through the 12th. Uh, one of them I happened to notice was the, uh, the the Heritage Awards Ceremony on Saturday. What What is that award ceremony all about? Um, the Heritage Awards is that we pick um, people from who are masters at their traditional art. And um, so we, we really like to honor them. They're people who, again, their main goal is passing down their tradition, making sure that it's well-known. And these people have totally succeeded at this. And also they, they want to um, they want to put it out there for everyone to see. So we uh, the Michigan Heritage Awards is being awarded to three different people, and I believe it's on Saturday. Mm-hmm. So... Very cool. Yep. And now, will there be performances from the folks that are being honored, or is this sort of a past and we're honoring them now sort of thing? Um, it's more of a past. We're honoring them now for their work. I'm mm-hmm. sure they'll have um, booths and stuff like that so that you can um, check out their work. So, like at the crafts or guilds area. Very cool. They may have their own special booths. Very cool. Can now, uh, one one thing I always like about big festivals like this uh, is that you get a chance to meet the people that are that are uh, you know, performing or, or selling or things like that. Have you have you met any interesting characters so far? Not yet, but I'm really excited. for. <laughs> I'll be working the media tent, so I get to meet lots of, I get to take media around to everyone, so I'm going to have to meet people so I can introduce them to the media. Absolutely. So hopefully I get to meet a lot of interesting people because they'll all be working their own booths. It's not like they have employees that are going to work in for them. Right, certainly. So, so you got yeah, you got to sell it to them, mm-hmm. definitely. Uh, well, now we, we've touched upon how there's a, a variety of international forms of music. What what's the importance do you feel for for a festival like this to bring in groups from around the world as opposed to just this country or this area? Um, well, I think 
it's important because you, I, I, when I got this um, job promoting the festival, you know, I didn't. I just thought that folk music was, you know, people who wrote songs on their guitar. Right. So I'm really, I was pleased to learn that it's not just folk music. Just isn't from around the area. It's from all over, different countries. It's not just Jimmy Buffett strumming on his guitar sure. or something. So you know, um, yeah, it's from all over, and I think that's the most important part. For people to learn, certainly, yeah. When you when you've got uh, you're going from steel drum, acapella, uh, the as I mentioned, of course, the Slovenian polka. I mean, that's that's covering quite a, quite an area, mm-hmm. uh, definitely. I mean, now you, you've got uh, is it three stages going on at the, at the um, festival? There's five stages. Five stages. Wow, and it's and that's all day uh, Saturday and 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 most of the day uh, Friday and Sunday, right? Um, most of the day Saturday and Sunday and Friday night is Excellent. our kickoff. So very cool. Now, now where's where's the uh, the whole thing going down at? Um, it's from let's see, Valley Court is one of our stages, all the way to another stage at MAC. So in all the area in between, up to Grand River. So wow, that's covering quite an area. Yeah, we're all over East Lansing. Jeez, you can't miss it, I guess, if you're going uh, downtown. Nope. <laughs> very cool. Now, um, how long have you uh, been with the uh, the festival? I've been with the festival since May. Since May, so. okay. And then what's what goes into to, to organizing something like this? I mean, I can't imagine it's a small tax, task when you've got uh, 75 and up you know, performances. Yeah, going. well, I've been to lots of the production meetings, mm-hmm. well, at least one. And um, there's lots of different people in charge that come to these meetings. You know, there's somebody in charge of all the music. There's somebody in charge of getting the stages ready, putting all the sponsors together, there's so many people in charge of so many different things, and it's really been exciting going to work this week, seeing it all actually come together, seeing the programs printed, you know. So um, a lot goes into it, and from my side, I've been doing the public relations, so we're sending it, we're contacting the media, making sure that this event is well-known. We draw between 80,000 and 90,000 people, so... I think we're going to. I think we've done our job well. Uh, it sounds like it. Yeah, this is crunch time. I guess if you don't do it now, it's not going to happen. Yep. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. No. We here at the Impact have been uh, really uh, getting the word out as well, and this is, uh, I think, a good Thank example you. of that. Much Cert- oh, <laughs> certainly. Well, we're glad to have you on. Um, so now, what? Just in in general, uh, a a festival like this. What do you feel is the biggest uh, appeal for the community to to come out? Um. Well, I think everyone's been um, really pounding out the the music. Um, aspect of it and that it's free you just get to go walk up to the stage and sit down very relaxed easy going anyone can come it's not just for scholars or sure. you know it's for anyone all over the world or i guess in the united states it'd be hard to come from all over the world well, i don't know it sounds like some of these performers are though yeah so. <laughs> but yeah excellent well now uh you know, like you said, people have been been really hitting on the, the music. I mean, is that would you say that's the the big sell for this? I mean, it sounds like you got a lot going on in addition to that. Um, I think that's one of the main selling points, definitely. Um, yeah, the music. Excellent. Will take us far. Certainly, certainly. I mean, that's that's sort of definitely what's getting my eye, and I notice. Uh, and of course, you know, a lot of folks listening to the station are definitely music aficionados. I'm I'm hoping that they're going <laughs> to come on out too. But uh, um, now, the MSU Museum is is the ones that are that's putting all this together. Is that yep. right? Now, why why is the MSU Museum the ones that are involved in this? Well, the MSU Museum is the one who does all the research, the field work. We're the people who um, are production, our music production people. We find the artists, we find the traditional vendors, we do all the traditional aspects, we find everything wow. and put it together. So that's why 
it's the MSU Museum's Great Lake Folk Festival. Excellent, excellent. Well, now uh, the the we've touched upon some of the activities going on, the the basket weaving and and all of those sorts of things. Uh, I think you you mentioned before we got started that a lot of that stuff is on display at the museum. Is that right? Yeah, there's an there's going to uh, well the museum has um, the Cares of Culture. Um, they have the Cures of Culture exhibit there. Also, they have, like, a breadwork textile um, to go along with, the like, quilting, some of the quilting guilds and stuff to tie that in along there. So Excellent. Yep. So if, anyone's, if anyone take, you know, takes a look at what they, what's going on down at the festival, they can find out more at the museum. Is yep. that what Sarah's say? A block or two walk down to the down campus, the museum. It'll be open. <laughs> Certainly, yeah. I mean, it, definitely a great way to learn more about, you know, not just your own area, but the areas yep. around it, I'm sure. Well, uh, we've been speaking here with uh, Chelsea from the Great Lakes Folk Festival, uh, put on, of course, by the MSU Museum. Uh, we're thankful for that. Uh, it's uh, going on this weekend, August 10th through the 12th. Uh, Friday, music's going on from 6 until 10.30. Uh, Saturday is uh, pretty much all day. Uh, everything gets started around noon. Uh, music going on until 10.30. And then Sunday, uh, starting again from noon until 6 uh, for both the activities and the music. It's a great opportunity to check out uh, over 75 different types of musical performances, from steel drum to Latin dance, uh, string band, and of course, uh, Anishina Beck singing and hand drumming, uh, one of my favorites. Uh, if you care to check out more, uh, there's a, the website, of course, at www.greatlakesfolkfest.net. You can check out the schedule of uh, events, uh, performers, as well as uh, some of the clips that, uh, of music that, uh, that you can check out at the uh, Folk Festival. Uh, Chelsea, I want to thank you for, for joining us today. Thanks for having me on Impact. Certainly, anytime. And uh, we will be right back after this break with someone to uh, tell us a little bit more about the uh, MSU Garden Day here at MSU. So we'll stay tuned. You're listening to Exposure on 88.9 The Impact. Smoking Helpline. Yes, I need to start smoking right away. Excuse me? I need to start smoking. Well, actually, it's the Stop Smoking Helpline. The people in the apartment next to mine smoke three packs a day, and it drives me crazy. So I'm thinking four packs will do it. I think you want MySmokeFreeApartment.org. It gives you the information you need to work toward a smoke-free apartment building. A smoke-free building? Without all that? Smoking. Uh, yeah, that's right. Make your apartment smoke-free without making a stink. MySmokeFreeApartment.org. When you get up in the morning and turn on the radio, you don't want to hear those other guys talking on your way to work, do you? You don't want to hear talking. You want to hear music. So here at The Impact, we are making you a promise. We're calling it the More Music Mornings 89-Second Pledge. We, The Impact, pledge that every weekday morning from 8 to 10 a.m., we will shut up and play music. We pledge that we won't talk for more than 89 seconds at a time, meaning more music all morning long. We pledge that every caller who requests a song between 8 and 10 a.m., Monday through Friday, will be entered to win a great Impact prize. And we pledge that in return for your listening to us, we will listen to you and play more music that you want to hear. So tune into the Impact for more music mornings. Let us know what to play, and maybe you can win some cool stuff. Only here on 88.9 The Impact. You're listening to Exposure on 88.9 The Impact. Phone lines are open at 432-3893. And now, back to Exposure. 
Uh, this is the Impact Exposure. I want to thank you for uh, joining us again. We just spoke with Chelsea from the Great Lakes Folk Festival going on this weekend, August 10th through the 12th. Uh, you can check out more info on that at greatlakesfolkfest.net. Uh, we're going to switch gears now. Uh, we're speaking with uh, Doug Badgero from uh, the Department of Horticulture. He's the Greenhouse and Gardens Manager, and we're going to be talking today about the MSU Garden Day coming up this Friday, August 10th. I want to thank you for joining us. Thank you. And uh, why don't you go and tell us a little bit about what the Garden Day is all about. Well, Garden Day is meant for uh, public gardeners and the home gardener. Uh, we have two keynote speakers, one in the morning and then one in the afternoon. We have 12 workshops then that you can sign up for, two of them, one in the morning and then you get your second choice in the afternoon. And it's some um, topics like water gardening, uh, how to take care of your bugs, how to you know grow small fruit trees. And we've been doing it for about 16 years now. So wow. it's great for the home gardener to come in and get some information on you know gardening for around their house. Certainly. I mean, it sounds like you've got quite a wealth of experience yeah. there as far yeah. as uh, gardening goes. Uh, but is, is this something for, for just the green thumbs out there, or is the casual gardener? Uh, oh, anything. Awesome? You know, we have some real uh, in-depth uh, seminars, and then some just there's one that makes herbal soaps. You hmm. know, and we've had several in the past. How to cook from the garden. So it's meant for just about everybody, the expert down to the real novice. Excellent. Now you you, you touched upon some of the workshops that are mm-hmm. offered. Uh, could you give us a little bit of a more in-depth idea about what people could check out? Well, one I know that I'm giving is water gardening. How mm-hmm. to build a water garden how to um, maintain it, how to keep it nice and clean, some of the plant selections. We have one on growing small fruits in your backyard, all the way from apples, cherries, uh, and um, blueberries. So you can grow those. There's one, as I said, on making herbal soaps. Um, There's quite a few of them um, just for every gardener to check out. Very interesting. Now, you, you touched on uh, on water gardens. For, for the folks that mm-hmm. uh, maybe aren't as familiar with, with gardening, what, what is a water garden? Water garden is basically where you would put a small pond in your backyard and how to choose the right plant material to keep it clean. We try to do both um, low-impact and high-impact ones, where low-impact would be there would be no filters, there would be no... Uh, waterfalls or anything, so you just have a small area. And there's quite an art into making sure that you, you're not breeding just mosquitoes. So we try to tell people the do's and don'ts and some of the pitfalls of you know, of water gardens. Excellent. Well, now, uh, another uh, another workshop that I, I noticed on the list, uh, there's uh, theme gardens for kids. Uh, Correct. Folks that, that have kids, I'm sure, uh, can bring them down. And well, we have a, a children's garden that's about a half an acre in size. Mm-hmm. We have 62 different themes in that uh, children's garden. We have the pizza garden. We have Monet's Bridge. We have... Um, Peter Rabbit Herb Garden, and it's just themes that kids can look into, and we have a group of plants called Cool Kids Plants Hmm. that the kids can grow in their home. We've got one that's um, called the Fainting Fern or Sensitive Plant, and we have one that's called the Eyeball Plant, and it's different plants that the kids can grow and to try to get them involved in the garden. Excellent. Yeah, and I mean, I, I spoke one time with uh, someone uh, from the uh, susta- like sustainable foods mm-hmm. groups, yep. and uh, one of their points about that was that you know, showing children how to grow you know foods at a younger age you know helps them with uh, you know eating better foods and, and and the science of it. I mean, that's is that part of the goal there? That's part of the goal as well, and it's it's amazing when you talk to kids more from inner city than anything else. A lot of kids today don't know where 
fruits and vegetables come from. Mm -hmm. And to see them actually growing in the garden is something that we have noticed that the real little kids love to see that. They love to get their hands dirty. And it's something where they can get their hands dirty and it's not, no, don't get, you know, get out of there, get out of there. But <laughs> now they can do it and get dirty and then you can see the, the products of your labor right sure. there in the garden. Yeah, I, was, I, I know as a young boy, I always helped my mom in the garden and, uh, you know, playing with worms and dirt was always a, kind of a selling that's point right. for me. That's so right. I can definitely understand <laughs> yeah. that. Uh, another one that I was, that kind of caught my eye was uh, there's an herbal mustard mm -hmm. workshop. Well, I I only know mustard from you know hot dogs and and sausages and things. What what are herbal mustards? Well, there's all a about? lot. Uh, I'm not real familiar with that one, but I know the ones that they're making herbal vinegars. And there's different types of herbs and spices that you can use in some of your common household things, like adding. Uh, lavender to your vinegar or adding uh, garlic or um, basil or oregano and there's just you can actually see how the mustard is made cooking with mustard seeds and um, demonstration will include tasting so you actually get to taste the different types of mustards that hmm. uh, you can try to make at home absolutely well, that sounds that sounds great um now, uh, there's another one that caught my eye. I'm just kind of going down the list here, stuff that's kind of popping out at me. Uh, the, the herbal first aid. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. I mean, I, I noticed, you know, we've had some folks on here talking about uh, holistic medicines and things like that. Is that connected? Yes, it is, because there's so many different products out there that can be used just more than just edible plants. And they can be used for salves and soothing and... Um, they can be used for so many different things, and the Indians were really good at that. And they used to check the plants, and how do you know when you can eat a plant? Because at one point in time, tomatoes were thought to be poisonous. Oh, really? And so now look at the tomatoes that we're growing in our garden. So there's so many wild weeds and plants that can be used for herbal medicine, hmm. and we're just not aware of all of them. Certainly. I mean, the, the one that always comes to mind for me is, you know, uh, aloe vera for, mm -hmm. for bad sunburn, yeah. which yeah. I have been, uh, you know, attacked by a little, yeah. couple times this summer. But I'm sure there's plenty of other uh, great oh, ones I'm to I'm sure to find there are. There's that. lots of different uh, um, herbs out there, and, and a lot of them may just be weeds, and mm -hmm. we're just not used to them, Certainly. to using them. Yeah, I mean, uh, my old science teacher always used to say there's, there's a value to everything. That's so right. I'm sure that's, it's that's, growing for one reason or another. I, absolutely. Um, well, and you mentioned, of course, the uh, the speakers that are mm -hmm. be, uh, yeah. be uh, well speaking, of course, at mm -hmm. the, uh, uh, the Garden Day. Uh, Sharon Lovejoy. Um, I have heard down for, for making cottage gardens. What What is a cottage garden? A cottage garden is more one that would surround, oh, basically your your deck or plants that wouldn't be used, oh, in a large landscape, but just around the deck or around the backyard or your patio and using a collection of different things to, to do textures, to do smells and, you know, visual visual things that just draw your attention to it. Mm. She's a very uh, renowned speaker. She's been on PBS, HGTV, NBC Today Show, Victory Garden, the Discovery Channel. She's very renowned. She's been around speaking nationally for over 20 years. And she also has six or seven books available. Wow. And there will be a book signing at that time. Excellent. So it's safe to say she knows her stuff. Yes, she does. Wow, she does. excellent. Excellent speaker. Now, the, the other speaker, uh, more, of a, more of a local boy, mm -hmm. uh, yep. Dr. Uh, Brad Rowe here from yep. MSU. Mm -hmm. Now, this is one that, that really kind of uh, piqued my interest. Uh, talking about rooftop gardens. Mm -hmm. I, why, why would someone put a garden on a rooftop? Well, what we're trying to do is we're trying to make the environment cooler and more uh, appealing. And there's a very large green roof at the Ford plant in um the rouge plant and 
he's actually got a green roof here on campus. In the horticulture building, we have a green roof. It helps to lower the temperature, and it also helps green it. And, you know, we're always trying to get more and more green wherever we go. But the biggest thing is environmentally, you know, try to impact, you know, to try to keep it cooler. And um, it's it's interesting to see it because I see it every day, and he's really renowned for that. And he was on the ABC Nightly News, and it was funny because he, he's got a green roof for his doghouse. Oh. And his dogs got on TV, but he didn't. <laughs> so... <laughs> Uh, well, I mean, they're, they're living there. Yeah, I guess they, they've right. earned it. So. That's right. Uh, something else I, I noticed, uh, there's a, a chance to do a bit of shopping at the, yes, uh, the Garden Day. What's what's up for sale? We have um, nine vendors, and we have some hypertufa planters. They're basically concrete planters. We have uh, Great Lakes roses, so we'll have roses for sale. There's some jewelry that's made with um, flowers and that. There's some a vendor with vases and... I'm not sure. I know we've got eight vendors, but I'm not sure exactly what the other two or three are. Mm-hmm. But So you get a chance to look at the books and have your book signed from Susan Lovejoy. And then also you can look at different vendors for um, gardening-type paraphernalia. So now is, is the... Uh the, the water garden, the only workshop that you're putting on? Yeah, that's the only one that I am okay. that I will be doing. Uh, we'll do it once in the morning. And the program starts at 8.50, and we have our first uh, speaker then at 9 o'clock. We'll break out into our workshops at 10.15. Then we break for lunch, and lunch is included with that. And then um, we go to our second workshop in the afternoon. And then we come back in the afternoon about 2.30, and, we, and I'll give a garden update, and then we'll have the green side up, which is our green roof, and oh. it concludes about 345. Excellent. Now, what, uh, we've touched on a few of the workshops. Mm-hmm. Any any others that uh, you really want to get people's attention about? No. Um, we have one that's very um, highly attended every year, and it sells out every year, and that's the herbal paper making. Hmm. They actually make paper, and it's fun to watch when they get to take a sample home, you know, the finished product when you're done, and, and that's one that sells out almost every year. Wow, excellent. And then there's, there's also one other one that I have to ask about, the MSU Diagnostic Lab, mm-hmm. Stories from the Twilight Zone. I know it. I, I just, <laughs> I, to be very truthful, I just read up on that, and, okay. you know, if I wasn't given a class, I think I'd be listening to that. Absolutely. But it's funny because when you're in the plant industry, everybody expects you to know everything. Mm-hmm. And had several call-in shows before on the radio, and probably, you know, some of the stories that you tell of the questions. For instance, I had one one day where somebody called up and says, "I've got a plant, and it's got green leaves on it. Can you tell me what it is?" <laughs> uh, well, then you have to dig a little bit. So I'm sure. sure they've got some great stories of some some weird um, plant diseases. Oh, I believe it. And in yeah. fact, I used to work with a gentleman who was uh, he hosted a radio show. Uh, he was a master gardener, fielding mm-hmm. questions from folks, and uh, he seemed to they expected him to be more psychic than, right, than gardener right. you know like oh yeah. your, your sunflower is having uh-huh. some problems uh-huh. so i can definitely understand that but that, that definitely sounds like yes. a, a real uh really interesting works sort of a csi for plants right almost. right and then another one that we've got is landscaping with native plants because mm. more and more we try to um ship in plants from all over the all over the world really and it's it's amazing the native plants that we have right in this area and we're not used to some of the plants that have been growing in Michigan around us that are just you know outstanding and trying to landscape with those plants and using less of you know the ones that are shipped in is is really um, 
getting to be a big item. Mm-hmm. Now, now uh, touching on that, there seems to be a, a definite movement here in the Lansing area for more organic and fresh Correct. foods. Mm-hmm. Um, it, how, does, how does that tie in, and, and what do you see as the value of that? Well, what what's happening is when you mention organic foods, there's a, a growing number of people that are trying to basically live on plants that are less than 100 miles away. Mm. And that's a big impact right now with people, you know, especially with the organic and trying to be more natural, trying to to live on what's growing right now. And because when you go to the marketplace today, you can get almost anything. And it used to be asparagus you had for about four weeks. Mm-hmm. And now you can get it almost year round. Yeah. And there's there's a certain group of people that are trying to get away from that and trying to live more on the natural type things. And this landscaping with native plants is kind of along that same line where you would try to use plants that are native to Michigan. Hmm. And what now, what's, so what is the value of of, of the plants just native to Michigan? Well, basically they're used to the climate Mm -hmm. and um, they're going to be probably hardier because they are used to being in this area and you don't have to fight with them. Some of the ones um, from Southern areas may be a little more invasive but then, of course, with our winters, you know, they're not going to survive. But mm-hmm. you also have roses. Most of our roses today are grafted. and they what, would not, what is, I'm sorry, what is grafted? I'm not grafted, what will happen is with a, a lot of our uh, roses, they'll be grafted onto a rootstock mm-hmm. that is hardier. Because of a lot of our roses today, if they were not grafted, they would not survive Michigan winters. Ah. So landscaping with native plants would be using plants that are not grafted and would be considered more wild and they're going to going to survive better excellent and so yeah obviously you know getting hardier mm-hmm. fruits and vegetables and right. plants out of that yeah. and definitely a value to that yeah. um, now it, how is the the department of horticulture involved in, in issues like that or other issues about uh, growing in the area well the reason that we do this is because we we have the gardens, and it's amazing that people in this area are not even aware of the gardens that have been there. We moved in into that building in '86, started the building to build the gardens in 1990. So we've been there over 17 years, and it's amazing that people, a lot of people out there, don't even realize that they're there. Mm-hmm. You know, and they're completely privately funded, and it's it's a great place for for the homeowner to come in and view. The trials. We have over a thousand varieties of annuals. We have over eighteen thousand square feet of perennials. Wow. Half an acre of the children's garden, and then across the street we have the Clarence E. Lewis Landscape Arboretum, um, with more of your woody type plants. And it just gives the people an opportunity to see what can be grown and the different types of gardens that we have. Excellent. Now we got a lot of folks that are listening that are uh, sort of young new homeowners. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, if they can't make it out to Garden Day and they want, but they still want to get involved in gardening in their home, you said you uh, you can provide information to them. How, how can they find out more about that? Okay, if if you want to um, call the department, the phone number is 517-355-5191, extension 1339. That will get you more information about Garden Day. And then if you come out and you can view the gardens, also we have a website that you can go to for the gardens itself, and that's www.hrt. Dot msu dot edu, edu and if you go to backslash gardens you can view all the gardens that are there the hours that were open and then you can come out and see what we have out in the gardens excellent and and so it's more than just 
you know, seeing some nice gardens, I'm sure. I mean, what, what sort of help uh, can you provide to, to folks? Oh, we try to, to deal with all the homeowners. Any questions they have, we'll I help them ID plants. Uh, more in the summertime, we're trying to maintain the garden so that they can see what they could put in their yard. Because a lot of times with our annual trials, you would see a plant in a catalog, but mm-hmm. then when you look at the true color of it, it's a lot different when you grow it out <laughs> in the yard versus in the catalog. Sure. And so with our 1,000 varieties of annuals, um, they can come out and take a look at it and see what it's going to look like in their backyard. Well, so what are some of the more common questions you get from folks who are looking to get started? Well, common question. That's hard to say because we get so many different ones. Oh, and you got that many varieties. I'm yes, not surprised. <laughs> you know, with over a thousand varieties, probably one of the biggest ones we have right now is how can I make my hanging basket look like that? Oh. And we, it's funny because we water everything by hand um, and we fertilize our baskets. And we have some baskets that one person can't get their arms around. Wow. And that's probably that's one of the biggest questions. And it's just a matter of fertilizing and water. Hmm. And... You know, most of the time, you cannot over-fertilize a hanging basket. But as soon as I say that, somebody's going to come sure. in and, and do it. But <laughs> that's probably one of the most common questions. How nice. can I make my plants look like that? My wife will tell me, too, how come our yard can't look like that? <laughs> well, I do it every day at work, so I don't want to do it at home. <laughs> I like to bring your, bring your work home. That's right. Yeah. Uh, well, now, providing information at the, uh, at the uh, horticultural gardens mm-hmm. uh, as well as at the Garden Day. Uh, garden Day, of course, uh, this Friday, August 10th. Uh, from 8 a.m. to 3:45 p.m. Uh, another question for you regarding that, mm-hmm. and and the uh, the department as well. What what sort of attention are you hoping that the Garden Day brings? Is it for the, the the growing community? Is it for the department? What what's the goal there? Our goal is to try to teach people how to how to grow plants and give them more information. Um, we try to disseminate the information that we have you know we have a lot of experts on hand and that's why we'll go usually we'll have one speaker that is a nationally known speaker and then one that's doing research in the department Hmm. because there's a lot of research being done in the department that people aren't aren't used to or that aren't they aren't aware of and basically just getting people aware that the gardens are there excellent now uh, the gardens at the horticultural department uh you're you're growing uh, various things. I mean, I'm assuming uh, you know flowers and and, mm-hmm. and fruits and vegetables mm-hmm. and things like that. What when they're grown when they're fully grown? Where where do those end up going? I mean, they have to be well, harvested, of course. Most of them are annuals. At okay. least we have the annuals and perennials. Um, it's just like your annuals in your backyard, and in the fall, then we pull them out and and dispose of them. Um, but during the summer, you know, we try to keep them growing as well as we can. The annuals usually are planted about the first of June through about the first of October. The perennials, of course, will grow year after year. And then, of course, the roses are also one that comes up every year. Hmm. So, But at the end of the year, unfortunately, they do start to die. And one of the biggest problems we have, we have a fall pansy trial. Oh. And the pansies then will overwinter. And then in the spring, they look pretty good, you know, if they've overwintered real well. But um, then we have to pull those out and ha- make room for our annual trials. And that's always a hard one because everybody loves the pansies and they're just looking nice and it's time to pull them out. So, But it is time. <laughs> All things must come to that's an end, correct. I guess. That's right. Excellent. Now, uh, I'm just looking down the list of these uh, these workshops again. Uh, the one that I, did, I must have missed the first time, uh, uh, common plants, pests, and problems. Um, what, are, what are some of those, just for the, the folks that might be curious? The most common ones that we have out in the gardens are aphids and whitefly. Mm. Um, aphids are 
part, a small insect that will normally get on the terminal part of your plant, and then they when they feed, they suck the juices out of the plant. Mm-hmm. Aphids are probably the most common, and luckily they're probably one of the easiest ones to get rid of. You know, a simple spray with soap and water oh. will usually get rid of those. But then there's a white fly. It's a small, just like it says, is a little white fly that um, feeds on the underside of the leaf. We can get spider mites. We can get slugs. Um, those, those are the, probably the most common four that we would see. But uh, there's all types of diseases, too, that we try to combat. And hopefully you'll learn, you know, how to take care of those in that class. And I mentioned, uh, you know, my mom, of course, Master Gardener. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, you know, the title that she gives herself, of course. But uh, uh, she's always more into the, you know, the, the natural solutions and things right. like that. You mentioned soap and water versus, mm-hmm. you know, a, a pesticide and things like that. Uh, is that part of that? Is are you is that, are you educating folks on? You know, less lower impact to the environment. In that class, you you would learn you know the different ways to get rid of them. Mm-hmm. Um, probably the biggest question we have about pest this year is Japanese beetles, and you can spray all you want, but it does very little good. Mm. And to be very truthful, the best way to take care of them is just take a um, bottle with, or a, a quart jar with a little water and bleach in the bottom and knock them off into it. Wow. And it's very non-invasive. Um, and but manual control is probably your best bet because yeah. you spray and half hour after you're done spraying they come right back in. There's very little in- insecticides that will work for those and and those are some of the the tricks that you try to learn in that class. Yeah, I've always heard uh, gardeners say you know, the, the best the best strategy is just getting out there and That's just right. poking them and pinching yep. them and getting yep. them out there by hand. Excellent. Well, we're, we've been talking with uh, Doug Badgero from the, uh, the MSU Garden Days, the uh, Greenhouse and Gardens Manager here at the Department of Horticulture. Uh, if you're interested in checking that out, it is this Friday, August 10th, over at the Wharton Center. Well, things get started at the Wharton yep. Center, I should mm-hmm. say. Uh, from uh, 8 a.m. until 3.45 p.m., lots of great workshops to check out. Theme gardens for the kids, uh, herbal mustards, herbal first aid, herbal paper making, and, of course, uh, at the MSU Diagnostic Lab, Stories from the Twilight Zone, my favorite title of all, plus lots of other great ones. Doug, of course, will be hosting the uh, Water Garden Workshop. Definitely worth checking out, as well as a couple of speakers. Uh, Sharon Lovejoy on uh, making uh, cottage gardens. And MSU's own Dr. Brad Rowe will be talking with, about uh, garden roofs. I want to thank you for, for joining me here today. And uh, anyone who wants to learn more can visit hrt.msu.edu slash gardens. So thanks again, Doug, thank for, for stopping by. And uh, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back shortly with Linda Jones from the, here we go, 30th Annual Michigan Wine and Spirits Competition and Gold Medal Reception right after this. You're listening to Exposure on 88.9 The Impact. At the football game, Jim shows the telltale signs of being wasted. He starts flexing for the camera. He refers to his muscles as gunboats. He screams, how's this for a halftime show? Jim streaks the field. It's easy to tell if you've had way too many to drive. But what if you've had just one too many to drive? Never underestimate just a few. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Transportation, the Ad Council, and this station. For more variety than you'll hear on any other station, listen to the Impact Primetime, where you can find a different specialty show every night of the week. Sunday nights, check out Sit or Spin from 8 to 10 p.m., where you can voice your opinion on what new music we play here on the Impact. Only on Impact Primetime. You're listening to Exposure on 88.9, The Impact. 
Phone lines are open at 432-3893. And now, back to Exposure. I want to thank you for joining us. Uh, this is the Impact Exposure. Uh, my name is Wes, and we were just speaking with Doug Badgero from the uh, MSU Garden Day. He's the Greenhouse and Gardens Manager talking about Garden Day coming up this Friday, August 10th, over at the Wharton Center. If you want to find out more about that, check out hrt.msu.edu slash gardens. I'm going to switch gears now and uh, speak with Linda Jones from the 30th Annual Michigan Wine and Spirits Competition and Gold Medal Reception. She's the Program Director over there. And uh, we have her on the line right now. Are you there, Linda? Yes, I am. Well, I want to thank you for joining us today. My pleasure. Well, now, first of all, uh, it's quite a long title. Could you tell us a little bit about the Michigan Wine and Spirits Competition and Gold Medal Reception? Right. Well, we've had a wine competition in Michigan now for 30 years. Wow. Uh, we expanded the competition a few years ago when Michigan wine producers started to produce fruit brandies and eau de vies, which are technically distilled spirits. Hmm. We've added some of those to the competition, but basically this is the longest-running evaluation and competition for our fabulous Michigan wine industry in the state, and we run this on an annual basis. We bring in judges from all across the country to judge at the competition. There are 24 judges. Some of them are winemakers from other parts of the country. Uh, we have some wine writers that are very important in spreading the word about the great wines that we have here in Michigan. We had a couple of uh, horticulture professors from Michigan State University on the panels today, Dr. Stanley Howell, who is retired from the horticulture department, and Dr. Paolo Sabatini, who is a new member of that department, both who have worked a lot in helping the Michigan wine industry grow. Excellent. Now, now you mentioned the Michigan wine industry. Are the ones that are up for, for judging only from Michigan, or are you getting folks from uh, elsewhere in the country? This competition is restricted to great uh, wines that are made from Michigan fruit, so from grapes grown in Michigan. I see. So it is a very much a state, you know, internal uh, competition. Mm -hmm. It's very important for the industry for a number of reasons. One is it's a great promotional vehicle to spotlight and draw attention to the wonderful world-class wines we have here in the state. And secondly, it allows a kind of friendly competition among our 50 wineries for some of the top honors in the competition. So it really helps to keep nudging people to strive to produce better and better wines all the time. Excellent. Now, when I'm 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 kind of a wine novice myself. When I you know go to the the grocery store, I always see uh, you know wines from California, from Australia. I don't I don't see as many uh, Michigan wines. Uh, what is the what how does what is the quality of Michigan wines? How does it compare to places you can get it from anywhere else? Well, in terms of quantity, certainly California dominates the wine industry in the United States. Mm -hmm. In fact, wine is produced now in all 50 states, which most people don't realize. Yeah. Most of the states produce a fairly small amount of wine, and so they only really produce enough to be uh, consumed right in their home state. We do have Michigan wines that are being shipped to, the, to many states in the Midwest, mm -hmm. and Michigan wines now make up about 5% of the wines sold in Michigan. And that has increased dramatically over the last 10 years. It used to be 10 years ago under 3%. And those increases in market share are, are tough to get. And while the market, total market is growing, our, our wine industry in Michigan is outpacing that rate of growth and making inroads on market share. And I'm sure uh, you know uh, events like this uh, definitely help get that word out, too. That's true. And uh, a lot of our wineries also enter competitions around the country, mm -hmm. and they do very well at those competitions. So people are quite surprised. A lot of people don't 
especially outside of Michigan, don't realize that we have uh, you know, a quality wine industry in Michigan. And when our wines are entered in these competitions in California, New York, Florida, uh, Texas, uh, and Michigan wines do well, that helps to uh, identify that we have an up-and-coming wine industry here in Michigan. And our wine industry is growing dramatically every year and contributing such an economic impact to the state because the wine industry is good for agriculture in mm-hmm. Michigan, and Michigan has a long history of quality fruit production, so this is just a natural extension of what we've always been doing in Michigan. Oh, I believe it, and, in fact. Yeah, I've, I've uh, been speaking to some folks here about uh, you know, different organic grow, you know, growing in, in the area and everything. It seems like there's a, a large uh, you know, agricultural uh, push for excellence yeah. in this area. That, we, that we, do got, we have a no lot surprise. of favorable conditions for good, good products, good value-added agriculture is what we like to call it, where people take a a commodity product like a grape, and turn it into something that consumers want that they'll buy right here in Michigan. And you can't export those kinds of jobs. Those jobs will stay here in Michigan. Certainly, and that's just an extra benefit of that industry, I'm, I'm sure. Yeah, uh, and now, the spin-offs for tourism are fabulous, too. Now, I, I hate to put you on the spot, but uh, do you have any personal favorites uh, well, uh, that, are, that aren't being judged this some year? some of the wines that won big trophies today at our competition. Sure. We have... Um, Six categories where we award major trophies, mm-hmm. and the dry red wine, the best dry red wine today, was Longview Cabernet Franc. Uh, the best dry white was a new winery, Left Foot Charlie, hmm. a Pinot Blanc. The best semi-dry white was Gill's Pier Riesling. The best sparkling wine is Tabor Hill Grand Mark. Uh, the best sweet red is Lilona Cellars Great Lakes Red. And the best dessert wine is a Chateau Grand Traverse Ice Wine, a very sweet wine that is very popular and is one of Michigan's specialties. Excellent. Now, people have a chance to sample all these wines mm-hmm. at a reception at the Kellogg Center on Thursday, August the 9th. Mm-hmm. And tickets are available by calling the Kellogg Center at 432-4000. And I don't, there are a limited number of tickets left, so I would encourage people to call early in case they close off ticket sales uh, early in the day on Thursday. Certainly. Well, now, uh, another question about the event for you. Uh, is it just the wine? Will there also be food served there? There will be food pairings with all of the best-of-class winners. Hmm. And then a selection of gold and silver medal winners will be served as well. So there will be probably 50 or 60 wines to try at this wow. function. And, it, and the Kellogg Center just does a fabulous job with pairing wonderful foods with some of these uh, trophy-winning wineries at special food-pairing stations where they'll be preparing some special um, hot appetizers, cold appetizers to go with, with these wines that have won the awards today. Well, now that was going to be one another question for you. Again, uh, I, I can't stress how, how, how much of a novice I am at wines. Uh, is, is it, is it uh, still proper to pair certain wines with certain meals, or is that something that's kind of gone out of fashion? It has gone out of fashion to, to some extent. There, there's no hard and fast rules. People are encouraged to pair with, pair foods with, you know, wines they like and, and find unusual pairings. Um, and so the Kellogg Center chefs do a great job of sampling and evaluating the cl- different classes of wines and finding just the right combination of food. But it's quite common now to, to serve, uh, you know, a red wine with poultry on it and some of the sauces that you would serve with poultry would would go particularly well with that. So we tell people, find what you like and, um, and enjoy it. Yes. And there's, there's no hard and fast rules in, in terms of wine drinking. There's a lot of uh, increase in, in consumer 
appreciation for wine and interest in wine, and uh, our program, the Michigan Grape and Wine Industry Council, its role is to help consumers find the information that they're looking for to learn more about uh, about wine in general and Michigan wine specifically. And the complete results of the competition will be posted on our website, which is which is Michigan Wines Plural dot com, mm-hmm. and those results will be available by noon on Wednesday, August August the eighth. Excellent. Wow. Uh, now, you mentioned the judging. Now, I read that there were over 400 entries this, this year? There were 365 entries wow, this so year. Wow, that's still very impressive. Yep, we had 340 last year, so there were you know, a significant increase. We've had about four new wineries open in the last year, so those wineries submitted wines. Mm-hmm. Not every winery in Michigan submits wines. It, there is an entry fee to, to enter, mm-hmm. and some wineries choose not to. They're, they're not uh, competitions isn't a big part of their marketing strategy, perhaps. But for most of our Michigan wineries, this is a very important uh, competition that they they use to benchmark themselves against others in the industry. So, is this the? Would you say this is the the biggest competition for Michigan wineries? Definitely. Wow. Yes. So, so there's a lot riding on this for folks that are uh, putting their, their their wines to the test. That's right. I've had a lot of phone calls today from winemakers wanting to know how they've done. So, oh wow, I, I'm sure of it. I, I follow I... this pretty closely, so <laughs> it's pretty exciting to be part of it. And uh, our program is part of the Michigan Department of Agriculture, mm-hmm. and it's a program that's designed specifically to guide and support the development of this wine industry. Earlier this year, there was an economic impact study that looked at the economic impact of the grape and wine industries because we do have uh, Welch's grape juice plant here in Michigan as well. Mm-hmm. And the total grape industries in Michigan is estimated to return over $790 million in economic wow. impact to the state, and it's growing every year. So there really is a lot of potential, and we're struggling in the Michigan economy right now to find industries that were, are well-suited Michigan, and certainly the wine industry seems to be one that is uh, very well suited. Definitely. Well, one that's bringing in that sort of revenue and, and growing, like you said earlier, uh, sounds like a pretty good candidate to me. Yep. It's been very exciting to follow it. Now, folks that are involved in this are awarded the uh, the double gold, gold, or silver medals. Uh, what, what does that mean to, to a wine uh, to a winer? What happens in terms of the judging, mm-hmm. four judges sit at a panel. And the wines are served to them blind, so they don't know who's produced these wines. Mm-hmm. They, they get a group of wines, maybe six to eight wines, served to them at once that are all of the same type. And they will make little notes individually around the table. And then there's a table captain that asks them to share their uh, observations, and they'll come up with a consensus award for the table. So uh, an individual wine might earn a gold, a silver, or a bronze medal. If... It's a unanimous gold, then we call it a double gold. Ah. Every judge at the table uh, votes for a gold, then it becomes a double gold. And then what happens is we take all the gold medal winning wines and they're retasted by the entire group of 24 judges to determine our trophy winners. So our best dry white, our best dry red are then judged in, in a further narrowing down of, of those gold medal winners. Certainly. So well, it's quite an exciting process, and it's it's a, it's something that we it takes weeks for us to prepare for. Mm-hmm. Uh, wines start start to come into the Kellogg Center a couple of weeks before the event, and entry information gets logged into databases, and we organize the wines so that we present them in a a very professional and efficient manner, so that the judges can evaluate them in the fairest and uh, best manner. Well, certainly, and, and for a, a 
a competition that has this sort of weight for, for the wineries. I'm sure they, they appreciate that level of dedication as well. Right. It's one of our most important programs, the competition. Our program also does things like runs an annual meeting mm-hmm. for the industry in the wintertime, in the winter months. Uh, we maintain a website to promote the industry. And we produce an annual magazine called Michigan Wine Country Magazine, which is available from our website, which helps people uh, do winery touring, where you can get maps and information about different wineries around the state and what their opening hours are and how to find them and, and plan a weekend visit to visit some of these places because most of them are located in very, very scenic parts of the state that are just a treasure and a pleasure to, to visit. Oh, I believe it. Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, with with the the, the the amount of land that's needed to to grow these grapes, I'm sure it's uh, quite a quite a scene. Yes, definitely. Our industry is concentrated in two con- corners of the state: northwest Lower Michigan, the Traverse City area, mm-hmm. and southwest Michigan. That uh, that uh, those two regions occupy about ninety percent of the acreage in the state, and oh. then we have other wineries around the state. We even have a winery in the UP now. So. Uh, so industry is spreading around the state and spreading those economic benefits uh, wider through the wider communities. Absolutely. Well, that's it's a great asset for the uh, for the the state, I'm sure. Um, my my final question to you, uh, sort of on a more personal note, uh, how can a guy like me, who again uh, is, is is rather unfamiliar with with the better wines, what what should I be looking for when I'm shopping for a good wine? Well, uh, the best way to learn about wine as a novice mm-hmm. is to taste several wines side by side. Okay. And the best place to do that is either at a winery mm-hmm. where they will show you their portfolio of wines and you can taste and find out what you like and what you don't like, and they can help you identify what are the features that you're looking for. So next time you look for a wine, you know what to look for. Mm-hmm. So winery visits is a great way to get educated about wines. And then tastings like we have on Thursday night are another great way when you have a chance to just try a little sip of something um, and, and evaluate which wines you like the best. Some restaurants offer what we call flights of wines, and they allow you to compare several different producers of the same kind of wine and evaluate those. And the stateroom at the Kellogg Center does offer flights of wine, which is a great way to learn about wine. And, of course, there's always classes you can take at uh, MSU Evening College, Lansing Community College, and other uh, community offerings around the city. Well, for folks like me who uh, who would like to learn more, I'm sure this reception is a great way to do that. Uh, a lot of good selections uh, offered up this uh, this year. Uh, of course, the uh, the Michigan Wine and Spirits Competition and Gold Medal Reception, uh, the the reception this Thursday, August 9th. Uh, if you want to find out more, uh, the number for that is five one seven four three two four thousand. Being held this year at the Kellogg, excuse me, at the MSU uh, Kellogg Hotel and Conference Center. If you want to pick up some tickets, that's the number to call or uh, check out the Kellogg uh, Hotel front desk. Uh, Linda, I want to thank you for joining us. I've definitely learned a lot, and uh, uh, you're welcome back at any time to tell us more about uh, Michigan wines. Great. Well, thank you for your time, and I hope to chat with you again soon. Certainly. Best of luck with everything. Thanks a lot, Wes. All right. This has been the Impact Exposure. I want to thank you for joining us this evening. Uh, We're going to switch things over to the Progressive Torch and Twang very shortly here. Uh, Thanks for listening, and we'll be back, of course, next week, Tuesday at 7 p.m. as always. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to this evening's Exposure, only on 88.9 The Impact.